Hey, before I, uh, before I get going, I just want to take a little picture before we get going today. Um, a selfie, of course. Um, I have a good friend who's a minister at Grandview Christian Church in Johnson City, and uh, his name's Aaron. And, and Aaron's going to be taking uh, a selfie from his uh, platform again here, just like I am today. He probably has already taken one. They have three services, and he started earlier. And so, like, we're, we're having this sort of friendly competition of, of likes and favorites and, you know, shares. Uh, so I, I really, really, really want more likes than him. And I want to make sure that those uppity Johnson City people with all their nice restaurants um, know, that we, know that we Green Countyans are for real. Uh, so if, so if I, after I post this picture, um, if you're a social media type, why don't you, like, you know, like it, favorite it, heart it, share it. You know, if, 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 if you can like it more than once, actually, that'd be, that'd be nice. I'm going to be putting it on, uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. Um, and all my social profiles are there for you on the study notes. Um, so if you could help me out by liking this picture. Uh, in fact, I'd really rather you do that than listen to the sermon. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. Um, actually, uh, right, here we go. I, I, hold on, I, I think I blinked. Hold on. And uh, I want to get this side because I've got this weird cowlick over here. Um, and, and if, actually, there's not enough people over here, so like, if you guys could, <laughs> could sort of scooch together so it looks really full. And if you could look really excited to be here. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds like a stretch, but uh, <laughs> I, I am kidding. I'm not going to have you scrunched together. But uh, if you could just all look real excited to be here, uh, that'd be really helpful. On three, one, two, three. Oh, that's, that's so dorky. <laughs> Actually, my face is a little, and I should have like sucked in my stomach and flexed, flexed a little more. Um, I think I should probably put a caption on it, you know, something like... Um, like this if you love Jesus and are a nice person and uh, like ignore if you hate puppies. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just share that here. There we go. It's on Instagram and and uh, let me see if I can post this real quick on on Facebook. Yes. Yes. There we go. Done. Killing it. Ooh, I've already got an Instagram like. <laughs> well done. Okay, all right. <laughs> I have a friend recently who uh, told me about an incident that he experienced at a nice restaurant. He and his wife were there with a, another couple, and they were right across uh, from another table. And there were probably eight to ten uh, college sorority girls who were there having some sort of celebration about something. They were all dolled up for a fancy evening out together. And uh, so they wanted a picture of the moment. So, of course, they snapped a selfie. And so they asked the server to come over and take the photo. And as, as, soon, as soon as 
The server took it and handed back the camera. And the camera was swarmed. It was sort of just swarmed by these girls uh, who, who looked at it and they started protesting like, oh, that's, that's not going to work. You know, my, my face looks weird. My hair is not right. Uh, you know, my makeup looks, looks kind of crazy. And it looks kind of goofy. Uh, let's, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So they handed back the camera to the server who took it again. You can guess where this is going. Same thing happened. They all clamor around the camera. My mouth looks funny. I don't like my smile. I look goofy. Can we do it again? So the server took it again. And again. And again. Five times. The server had to take another photo in order to make everyone happy. It was obvious at the moment that the most important thing wasn't really to capture the moment, but it became obvious, my friend said, as he watched this scene, and, and these girls were so concerned about what this photo ended up looking like, because they were all planning on you know, posting it online for the whole world to see. It was obvious that the most important thing at that moment wasn't to capture the moment, but was to make the moment seem perfect so that it could be perceived as such by themselves as well as everybody else. These girls were caught up in the comparison game. Now listen, I, I don't care if I don't get as many likes as Aaron Weimer. I mean, it'd be nice. I'm going to rib him because they're a little bit larger church and they're in the big city. But really, who cares? What matters is we're here together to worship Jesus as believers. What matters is that we're here to worship Jesus, to be together, to hear from His Word, and to learn about what it is that God says about us and our wiring in us. These girls, and you know, our sort of selfie here, is the comparison game. I mean, when you're more concerned about looking good in the picture than you are about connecting with the people around you, you're caught up in the comparison game. Selfies can easily become this sort of airbrushed view of reality. But you know, in all of us, actually, I mean, it's real easy, I get it, it's real easy to look at the selfie culture today and go, oh, those people are so, they're so shallow. But there is in each of us such a strong sense of inadequacy that we will do almost anything to measure up. Friends, this isn't just college girls or me standing here from the platform or young kids. You ever taken a picture of young kids nowadays? You, you do that and instantly they grab the camera. They want to see what's going on. Let me see that. I want to see it. This, that's, not just, that's not just those folks out there. I mean, listen, you may not be taking selfies, but so many of us are caught up in the comparison game. We want, want to always look our best. Right? We want to be at our best so that people will like us. I mean, we know how this works, right? We know how this game works. We have a clear sense of our inadequacy and our sin. We experience that. We feel that. We know what that's like. And, and honestly, we don't know how to make up for that. I mean, let's be frank. We, we, we don't have the tools to make up for that. So we play the game that we've been taught. We play the game we've been taught. The game we've been taught is conditional love. The game we've been taught is conditional love. And, 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 love. and that's not just people out there taking selfies. You may not be taking selfies. 
But you may be looking at others' Facebook profiles or Twitter feeds or things you see on TV, other people's experiences from the outside looking in at them. And you may be wondering why your life doesn't look as awesome as everyone else's seems to. So, so you may be tempted to post stuff that makes you feel like your life is awesome too. You know, to justify that sense for yourself. You may be at the car dealership. You may be at the car dealership thinking to yourself, the Civic is a great car for us. <laughs> but my sister's got the Accord. She loves it. And I know it's a stretch. Probably don't need it. But there's so much more room. It's just that much nicer. You know, let's go for the Accord. You, you may be thumbing through houses for sale on the Internet or on your phone, dreaming of the 5,000 square foot mansion when all you need and all you can afford is the boring 2,000 square foot split level from the 1970s. Because listen, those folks on HGTV and all those pictures of those big nice houses, they look so nice and people seem so content. I mean, if I could just be like that couple on HGTV where where they get to, you know, do people's houses together and their kids come along to help do the setting up of the staging. Some of you know exactly the couple I'm talking about. They're from Texas and they're Christians. How cool would that life be? Like if I could just if I could just finally get my house to where I want it. If I could just finally have a car that's not going to break down every couple of months. If I could really just finally get to the place of making enough money. If I could finally just bake enough amazing recipes. I mean, we could just keep going on and on and on with this list. If I could just have enough food, another bite, or not another bite, or lose 20 pounds, or fill in the blanks. Listen, I think, I think a lot of us are far more caught up in the comparison game than we'd care to admit, or maybe even aware of. Because listen, friends, the point isn't for us to decry everyone else's silly search for self-worth. No, 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 no. The point is for us, as believers in Christ, to know how much God has made us to be loved by Him. The point is for us to know how much God loves us so we needn't continue to pursue our own silly search for self-worth. The problem is that we don't believe God when he says we are worthy of his love because we think we have to earn that love. I mean, we make others earn our love, right? Isn't that how, I mean, that's just how we learn it. We've learned conditional love. We know the rules of the game. And so when we play the comparison game, we end up working toward becoming like the pictures we see, controlling our own hype and getting likes in a way that undermines, that undermines the value that God has already placed in you. Listen, God sees our worst and loves us nonetheless, which means we don't have to go through life wearing an Instagram face or living up to a Facebook profile or that couple on HGTV. Because, as Romans 5 tells us, 
The most important thing anybody could ever say about you is that God loves you. God has lavished his love on you. And friends, because of the truth of this, because of the truth of the gospel, you don't even have to compare yourself to anyone else. Jump in with me at Romans 5. Really cool stuff here. Really good, meaty, theological truth behind Romans 5, 1 through 8. I want to read the whole thing together and then we're going to jump in. Jump into the passage at verse 1. Romans 5, 1 through 8. A critical part of Romans as Paul makes this point. It says this, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we'll talk at length about what that therefore is there for. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The peace with God is the summary statement for everything that follows here. And, and he continues to define what that means here. So, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. We'll spend some time on this here in this Verse verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And he explains this love of God in Christ given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. First thing we need to do is review the amazing truth uh, that Paul is starting with here in chapter 5 because that's, it's at the root of why we don't need to play the comparison game. This idea of justification, of being justified, is at the root of why we don't have to play this comparison game anymore. The truth of what we have in justification, the truth of what we have in justification and why God justifies us is what he needs to remind us here that gives us the, the reason why we don't have to play the comparison game. So he starts off here in chapter 5 by reminding us what he's been saying for four chapters before that, that we've been justified by our faith in Christ, which means, long story short, that our sin against God, our sin against God, that means that we deserve his just anger at sin, that idea of God's just his righteous anger against wrath is before this section. It's in this section. It's after this section. It's all over uh, parts of Romans here. means that because of our sin and his justified anger at our sin, if we have faith in Jesus' sinless life that is sacrificed for us, then we are justified. Since we have been justified by that kind of faith, then we have a right standing before God. This word justification is a, a legal term. It's courtroom language. Uh, to be justified means that we are now legally declared righteous. Legally declared righteous. It's like Jesus hands us sort of this certificate that says that God will from now on, even though you don't deserve it, even though you couldn't earn it, he will now on treat you as if you had never sinned. like this. 
Many years ago, there was this wealthy Englishman who was on holiday driving around Europe in his Rolls Royce. Something went wrong with his Rolls Royce. And so the company, the Rolls Royce company, they immediately flew a mechanic out to where he was in the middle of Europe. And this mechanic showed up, fixed it in a jiffy, fixed it in a jiffy, and, and, and left. Left no bill for the repair. And so this wealthy Englishman sort of wondered if something had gone wrong. He'd wonder if there had been some mistake because there was no bill to pay. So he wrote a letter to the company to see if he could cover the cost of the repairs. And here's, here's the letter that he received back. It's just a simple, simple one-sentence response from the company. It says, in the files at the headquarters of Rolls-Royce, there is no such account saying anything has ever been wrong with a Rolls-Royce anywhere that you speak of. <laughs> Paul's saying here, if you have faith in Jesus, then in the files of heaven, there's no account saying that anything has ever been wrong with you. <laughs> the account says clear, up to date, paid for, got it covered. You needn't worry. You needn't compare. To have to get your account filled by others around you so that you feel worthy. (laughs) If you have faith in Jesus, then in the files of heaven, there's no account saying that anything has ever been wrong with you. Romans 3 Super cool passage. Romans 3, uh, just 23 and 4. 23 and 4 are part of 21 through 6, which is a, a critical part of Romans. We're just going to read Romans 3, 23 and 4 here. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Those who have faith in Christ... Those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God are by their faith justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You are justified. Which is to, which is to say that, that Jesus, that God loves you enough to give you the gift of a perfect life in Jesus if you have faith in Him. If you've acquired Him by giving your Life to Him. God loves you enough to give you the gift of Jesus. By whom, through whom, because of whom, He treats you as perfect. (laughs) Listen, God's aware you're not perfect. But the idea that God treats us that way, that functionally He works with us with that assumption is amazing. So, So Paul wants to continue to unwrap that idea of justification. Tell us about the benefits of justification and why, and why God justifies us. And so he begins here in chapter 5 by reminding us of this amazing truth of being justified, which is why he says at the beginning, jump back in at verse 1, we'll keep working our way through here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that we have this right standing with God, we have peace with God. Now this peace isn't merely an objective truth 
out there or in our heads. It's not just an objective, like factual, intellectual kind of truth. I don't buy into I, the idea, by the way, that intellectual and, and feelings are different, but that's how they're stated so that we can understand them sometimes. This piece isn't this objective, out there, intellectual only kind of truth that's objective, but it's something we are experiencing in us subjectively. This isn't just amorphous, out there, like, idea that we give an assent to. If we give assent to that, it has implications in us, subjectively. We feel it. That's actually the stress that Paul is adding to this here. He's emphasizing that subjective truth. You may feel like God is angry at you. You may feel like you are unlovable. You may feel like, you may feel like, you may feel like. But the truth is, as Paul says here, if you have faith in Jesus, God is no longer at war with you. If you're justified, God is no longer at war with you. Ephesians 2 has a great passage in it that talks about being at peace with God, this idea that we're no longer at war with Him. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. We're going to put this on screen here. We were at once at war with God, but now, it says, but now, those are great words, happen in Scripture quite a bit, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far, far off because of sin, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He, this is great, for He Himself is our peace. The person of Jesus is the one on whom our justification rests. Jesus himself, the perfect life of Jesus, gives us the credit we don't deserve and didn't earn. It is the actual life of Jesus lived for us that gives us the credit we don't deserve and that we didn't earn. That's something you should just let sink in, think about, meditate on. Because that will change the comparison game for you. You'll see how empty trying to gain credit with those who can't give it really is. Conditional love doesn't work. In fact, I would say conditional love doesn't actually exist. <laughs> because at that point, it's not love. So God loves you enough to provide God loves you enough to provide rescue for you when your sin meant that there was no hope for that rescue. So when you feel like a mistake, when you feel unloved, when you are aware of how far you've fallen from God, how distant you really are, you look at the cross and you say, in the files of heaven, there's no account saying anything has ever been wrong with you. So that's sort of justification and some of its blessings. Look at how he talks about these blessings. Jump in again at verse 1, moving on to verse 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him, through Jesus, we also have obtained, in other words, there are other benefits to this, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So because we're justified, we have peace, we have grace, and we rejoice. The posture of the believer who understands that a relationship with God is now had through Jesus and justifying us has a posture of rejoicing about that. 
And this isn't just empty rejoicing. This isn't temporary uh, joy. This is lasting joy kind of rejoicing in a way that sustains us through the hardship of life. That's why Paul can say crazy things like he does in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 3. Not only that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't just rejoice that we have Jesus and justification. We have a new relationship with God that we couldn't have because of sin. We rejoice moving forward even in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that there's a place that this heads. It's not just suffering for the sake of suffering. This is suffering in life. And I think Paul basically means anything that might go or feel like it goes in the category of suffering for us, wherever it comes from. Because we know that it heads somewhere toward the hope that this is not all there is. That this pain will end. That this is just temporary suffering. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. This isn't, this isn't a prosperity gospel program for spiritual growth, is it? <laughs> this isn't your best life now being found in earthly comforts. This is a real and a tested program for spiritual growth that produces real and tested hope. Do you want to experience hope? Here's the program. This is a real and tested program for spiritual growth that produces a real and tested hope. It says this, verse 5, Hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint, some versions say. Now why does this work? (laughs) Why does this whole thing work? Here's why God justifies us. Here's why we can know that hardship will serve God's purposes if we let it. Here's why we can have confidence that faith in Christ works because, starting at verse 5, and here's what we're talking about especially today, because God loves you. That's how you know this works. Because God loves you. Hope does not put us to shame, verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. This word for poured here implies an extravagant, an abounding, an overflowing, and it keeps going past the point of the top of it being poured. It's just being being poured. It's just continually being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to share you with a quote uh, I came across. Uh, from a man named Doug Moo. Yes, his name is Doug Moo. Uh, He is the world's best on Romans right now. Here's what he says about verse 5. This is great. The confidence we have is not based only on our intellectual recognition of the fact of God's love or even only on the demonstration of God's love on the cross, although this is important, which he delineates here and we'll look at in verses 6 through 8, but also on the inner subjective certainty that God does love us. This is, this is honestly the disconnect for most believers. Right here. The inner subjective certainty that God does, in fact, in actuality, love us. In a way that we experience. In a way that we know. Not just out there, but in here. <laughs> Confidence comes... from more than just knowing up here that God loves you, but also from feeling and experiencing it personally. Experiencing God's love is a whole person experience. Now there is this Christian suspicion 
of emotion and feelings that keep at arm's length this subjective certainty that God does love us. I get that. (laughs) I understand that. Uh, There's this idea we have that it is exactly our messed up feelings and emotions that got us in this mess in the first place. Uh, but But I think that's actually wrong. Emotions and feelings are inner responses to behavior. I suspect that it's actually not paying attention to your feelings and emotions about behaviors, yours or otherwise, that gets us in our messes more than the other way around. In other words, we, we just we push feelings and emotions aside. And so in, instead of acknowledging, I feel this because of this behavior, yours or someone else's, instead of acknowledging that, dealing with it, being present with those emotions and feelings and processing them and letting God sit with them with you in a way which will be a healthy response to the behavior, we have this sense that I, I, like that sin, that that person sinned against me or I've sinned against that person or that I know that I, I, I can't deal with it. I, I, I push those emotions and feelings aside. They are bad. That's what the Christian response is we go we go on medicating ourselves pacifying ourselves mollifying anesthetizing whatever cool words you want to put there living in denial of that but being present with and paying attention to your emotions is actually healthy yeah and paul is here in romans 5 to tell you that part of why you don't experience god's love in you is this disconnect you have with pushing your emotions and feelings aside and not paying attention to them. Paul is here in Romans 5, in fact, to tell you that it's a good and a natural thing to feel and express the idea that God loves you. That's part of why the subjective certainty of God's love for you feels distant. Because you've trained yourself that you can't trust your feelings and emotions. Let me say it this way. It's okay for you to express the idea that God loves you. We are really good at expressing the idea that we are sinners, that conditional love is the name of the game. We're pros at that. We are generally terrible at expressing and experiencing the idea that God loves us. (laughs) Let me say it this way. Stop being such a stoic, evangelical, arms folded, Emotions are bad, weirdo. God made you to experience His love. That's why He gave you feelings and emotions. We're talking about God's wiring in you. We can get we can get real philosophical and weird and all this. God made you this way. He made you to experience His love. And Paul is here to to say press into the idea that in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, you have experienced His very love. You should feel it. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to say, that is so awesome. (laughs) It's okay to say that. Experience that. 
Because the Holy Spirit is in you, He confirms that God has poured His love into you. The problem we usually have isn't knowing that God loves us, but confusing others' conditional love with God's unconditional love. Don't do that. That's an exercise in setting up for yourself the inability to experience the subjective certainty of God's love for you. The problem we have usually isn't knowing that God loves us, but confusing others' conditional love with God's unconditional love. I mean, we know God loves us unconditionally. Just think about it. We know it has to be unconditional. There's no worthy comparison between us and God. We know we fall short of God's perfection. We can't possibly earn God's love justifiably. So we know it has to be unconditional. It's the silly comparison game between us and others that gets us in trouble. So we end up imposing, we end up imposing others' conditional love of us on God's unconditional love. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, the only way you can actually love others is the way God loves you. There is no such thing as conditional love. That's not love. And when you get this, when we understand, when we understand that God was motivated to justify us in Jesus because he loves us, the rest of this passage and this idea that God loves us kind of falls into place. Follow along here in verses 6 through 8. This is so cool. This is Paul going on to describe God's love for us in these verses. He says, For while we were still weak, when we had no leg to stand on as good before God, when we were lost, when we were powerless, while we were still weak, at the right time, at the moments when our, when our heads were justifiably on the chopping block of God's wrath because of sin, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, underline that phrase, circle that phrase, highlight that phrase, memorize that phrase. Christ died for the ungodly. So much of our time and effort is spent in a, in a system that doesn't work where we talk about it as if Christ only dies for the godly. That's not Bible. That's not gospel. Christ died for the ungodly. How absolutely amazing is that? It's so cool, Paul says, that compared to human love, which is conditional, it proves God loves us. Look at verse 7. This is human love here. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. He's saying that the very best of human love doesn't even demonstrate dying for the ungodly. Maybe occasionally for a good person, yeah, sure. But for an ungodly person like you and like me, in our sin, he says, forget it, won't happen. Doesn't happen. Wouldn't matter if it did because it wouldn't save you anyway. But he says, verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 is the gospel, friends. God shows his love 
by dying for sinners. Here's the crazy part. To believe the lie that God has stopped loving you for whatever reason, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, to believe the lie that God has stopped loving you for whatever reason, because of something you did, because of who you think you are, that is an affront to God's very character and nature as a God whose love overcomes sin. Our sin is great, yes. But God's love is always and infinitely greater. We've been responding to these messages uh, starting last week, and we'll do this next week as well, with these yellow cards that are in the pews there. I want you to grab those. There are cards and pens there. And we're going to come to a moment of response here. And like we did last week, you can start writing a response now. You can think about it a while, let it marinate, write it and put it up after the service. You can do that while we have the time of invitation response here. You can come up now uh, in just a second here when we sing. Either way is fine. I want want you to, to think about your life and God's love for you and write some way that you know that you experience God's wiring in you, God's unconditional love for you. Now, now I, I recognize this is going to be more difficult than last week. It's going to be more difficult than next week. Uh, the disconnect for us often is understanding the extent to which God's unconditional love is something we experience. So I'm going to give you just a little example here. I think I experience God's love lots of ways. But I know that I experience God's love because I get to stand here as someone who is palpably aware of my weakness, just like you are of yours. I get to stand here as someone who is palpably aware of my weakness and sin. And I get to preach a gospel that speaks of His unconditional love. So I I experience God's love in me when I enjoy the experience of communicating out of my own weakness. I experience God's love in me when I enjoy communicating God's unconditional love to others. I want you to think about something, write it down, take a minute. And uh, in just a second here, we're going to go ahead and sing. And I want you to come on up and put those in the wire mesh if you're ready to now or after the service. Uh, That's fine. Let's go ahead and uh, pray together.